Welcome to the Naked Truth Real Talk about West Coast Swing. My name is Eric, and today I'm sharing a conversation I had with two friends about aging and ageism. As I mentioned at the start of the episode about the open, I want to use this podcast to highlight different issues affecting our community with the hopes of raising awareness, stimulating some discourse, and maybe challenging people to consider changes they would like to see happen. We have always had older dancers in our community, but much of the growth of our dance over the last decade or so has been among younger people. I personally have been around long enough to see the demographics and, as a result, the dynamics of our scene change, and while I'm still on the younger end of the spectrum, even I've noticed that many of my peers are much younger than me. In recent years, I've befriended older dancers, many of whom have become close friends, Personally, I appreciate that many older dancers aren't quite as obsessed with dance and events and competing as some of the younger dancers. Not that that kind of obsession is a bad thing, but when you're always going to events, there isn't much time to enjoy non-dance activities together, and many of my older friends share the same interests in non-dance things that I do. I also, by the way, have many dance friends who are younger than me who also share an interest in non-dance things, but Anyway, my point is that I have made friends with both younger and older dancers, and as a result, I've gotten to hear the stories of some of my older friends, their experiences learning, social dancing, and competing in our dance world. Some people may complain about how things just aren't the same anymore, but the friends I've talked with are able to see both the good and the bad in the way things have changed over time. I asked two such friends to sit down with me to talk about their experiences as older dancers who have been dancing for a while. The first, many of you already know from a previous episode of The Naked Truth, Mr. Tom Paderna. Tom is a Bay Area dancer who currently lives in Sacramento, and he has been actively dancing, DJing, and judging for almost 30 years. He won the Open Jack and Jill at the U.S. Open in 1994 with Kelly Buckwalter, now Casanova. He helped found, promote, and run Boogie by the Bay in its early years, and he continues to be active in the scene, serving as a judge, DJ, and all-around supporter of the community. He has been a great friend and mentor to me in running Mission City Swing. He's on our board, and I'm proud to call him a close friend of mine. He is smart, wise, funny, full of good vibes and good humor, and he's just an all-around good guy on top of being a great dancer. My other guest is also a wonderful person and friend, Ms. Gail Jacobson. No relation. Gail lives here in Minneapolis and has been dancing and competing for many years. She is active here in the Twin Cities. She serves on the board of the local swing dance club, the Twin Cities Rebels. And she frequently travels around the country to various events. She competes in both the advanced and master's divisions, and she is a joy to dance with. She too is smart, fun, down-to-earth, and very thoughtful. So I invited the two of them to talk about what it's like to get older in our community and some of the challenges they face as older dancers. We talked about physical limitations, facing expectations, what it's like to compete at their age, and what communities and events can do to help create an environment that is more welcoming and inclusive of older dancers. I know many of you listening will relate to their stories, and hopefully many of you listening who are younger will appreciate what they have to say. I know I certainly did. So here now is my conversation with Gail and Tom. Tom, great to have you back on the show, and Gail, welcome Thank to you. the show, your first time. Yeah. Um, 
How, how's everybody doing? What's happening? Tom, you mentioned you were a little out of sorts today. Uh, yeah. Mind? Yeah, a little out of sorts today. And um, yeah, but but what, we, could, we could start off happy by asking how Gail is. I don't know. She's <laughs> you know what? You're not ready to talk about it yet? No, I can't. So I'm having one of those days where I'm really considering what what dance means to me. Because uh, I had I had like we all do. I'm trying to normalize that we all sometimes have bad nights, and it wasn't a bad night. It's just that certain things happened, and certain things that I could do I can't do anymore. And so I'm like thinking, you know, is this is dancing a net net positive? And and I think we all have to have the answer ask those questions to ourselves all the time. And uh, I'm not I'm not sure where I am right now. I'm trying to figure that out. Mm-hmm. And and some of it has to do with our topic, age, right? Because um, <clears throat> one of the things I know is I can't do the things I used to do. And it's, uh, you know, age brings physical decline. And I think all of us, as we get older, have to kind of face that. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, so that's, that's kind of part of it. So what, what makes aging in West Coast Swing, which is getting to be more and more an athletic dance, kind of hard to deal with mm-hmm. as we get older. Yeah. Um, and that's exactly what um, I wanted to talk to you and Gail about today is, you know, I think, Tom, the last time you were on the show, we talked a little bit about masters dancers and, and aging. Um, and certainly our community, I think our community in terms of its composition has shifted over the years. Um, and it's it's been a good thing in terms of the growth of our community, but certainly it's changed the dynamic. Um, Gail, you started West Coast Swing a little later in life. Is that correct? Right. I started, well, you know, it's hard to look back and and pinpoint the exact year. Mm -hmm. But I think I was, when I first started doing it passionately, I was probably between 41 and 42. Mm -hmm. I was introduced to it a few years years before that um, and kind of dabbled with it in and out. But at at the, the point when I went to my first convention, I was 41. Yeah. So, yeah, a little later. Uh, what was that like for you to start a little later? I mean, the community here in Minnesota seems now to be shifting a little younger right. with Swing of Soda. Mm-hmm. But I think the quote-unquote traditional audience or regular audience has been older in a lot of Midwest and Eastern communities, right? Yes, very true. When I started, um, well, because I was in my early 40s, I, I guess you would consider that to be older, but the people who were really active in our community at that time, the people who were running the club on the club board um, who were traveling were, I would say, in their 30s all the way up to 60s. Right. So the people that I was hanging out with that I first got to know um, were really my peers and, and maybe even a little bit older than me. So I didn't feel yeah. old. Right. I mean, there were a few younger dancers. You know, Jason Barnes mm-hmm. was probably around 20, 22 something yeah. when I started. So he was one of the youngsters, but there were very few of them at that time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when I started dancing in D.C., that was 2002 when I, I started with Helen Taco and she was still in college at Catholic University and I moved to D.C. Uh, we were the young kids. <laughs> you know, there were there were a number of people, I'd say maybe like seven or eight people who were under 35, mm-hmm. but the vast majority of people were older and um, having since moved to California, where there's obviously a big young community. And now um, here in Minnesota, it's, there's a lot of young dancers getting Definitely. involved in it. Um, I feel like that's shifted a bit. 
Um, Tom, you started this dance when you were younger and you've continued yep. to be active throughout your uh, your maturation period. <laughs> um, I'm curious what your experience has been like. I mean, you're saying now you feel like maybe the dance has become too athletic, but what's your experience been like over that whole period? And uh, what's different today than than from when you started? So actually, I was thinking about that. Um, when I started, I was in my, I want to think, early 30s, actually. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and you may you may not know that I've been dancing for just about 30 years now. Um, so, but I had a 10-year gap where I didn't dance at all. And so wow. w- one of the things I realized was that there was, actually people were, when I started dancing, there were mostly 20s and 30-year-olds, actually. So it was actually pretty pretty much my age peers. And then I think for whatever reason, we all aged together and the dance moved out of San Francisco, moved to the uh, suburbs and they got much older. And it really the, the young crowd really only has started in the last, I would say 10, 15 years. Again. So it's, it's kind of waxed in me. Um, so definitely the folks who I started with my age cohort, there aren't that many of us around over there are a few, like mm-hmm. a handful, like five or six people in the Bay area. Mm-hmm. Why do you think they disappeared? Life, just like I did, right? I did a startup that took seven years of my life. Um, but other people had kids, so they got married and moved to the suburbs, but I was sure. just dancing, you know, this whole thing that happened. And I did the metronome for you know, a long time. Um, but once that died out, when everybody moved to the suburbs, because they, they didn't want to come to the city, right. it took a while for the suburbs to kind of rise in the Bay Area with... Um, Two left feet, really, at first. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later on, re- more recently, WNYMCS, DYMS, et cetera. Right. Yeah, it's been my experience that uh, the dance skews either really young or much older because there's that period where people get into relationships or are focused on their career uh, or have kids that they mm-hmm. disappear mm-hmm. and then they yep. come back mm-hmm. to it mm-hmm. later mm-hmm. in life. Yeah, we've seen a lot of that with the rebels lately. Yeah, we've seen a lot of couples coming in, you know, in their fifties, and um, maybe they're not quite empty nesters, or maybe we're on the, they're on the edge, or they are, mm-hmm. and their kids have gone off to school, and they're looking for something fun to do together, and they may have danced in the past, or they may have not. You yeah, know, that's pretty common. So, as I kind of alluded to earlier, as the community has grown and expanded, it strikes me that a lot of the growth has been with a younger demographic. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's certainly true from my experience in Europe, but um, even here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So, you know, MCS or Swing of Soda here in the Twin Cities mm-hmm. has really brought in a lot of young dancers. Um, and a lot of those young dancers, I think, are the ones who are who are going to events and competing a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, on the one hand, and, what's that? And older. Yeah. I, think, I think there's a lot of the re- folks who are retired or come advanced in Asia and have their have a lot of money yeah. and have to have the time to right. travel. There's, there's definitely a cohort that goes around the country and it's pretty much a lot of major events for sure. Yeah. Uh, re- regionally and nationally. I think that it's both the kids that, you know, maybe don't have the income yet, but they're sharing rooms with six or seven kids in a room. And then there's an old, the older couples that have money and they can just afford to have their own room or share with one person, but they have the income to go regularly. I think you're right, Tom. Yeah. 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 Uh, it does strike me that some events skew towards one or the other. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think of an event like uh, events like Capital or Boogie that have a good mix 
of ages. You know, they have a lot of offerings for masters. They have a lot of masters attendees. And then you have other events like Jack and Jillarama um, that, or Wild Wild Westie that I think skew younger. Not that they don't have any older competitors or attendees, but they certainly skew that way. Swingtacular. Swingtacular, Definitely. right, would be another one that skews younger. Um, I'm curious to hear from both of you, uh, you know, given this shift in demographics and both of you have been dancing for a while, do you think it's changed the dynamic of, say, events since we're talking about it? Mm-hmm. Do you feel like the event experience has changed for you? And granted, you've both been aging. I've been aging too. I'm now almost at the point where you started <laughs> dancing and I'm past the point where you started dancing. I was actually thinking about that today. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about how old you are and you're I'm getting kind there. Of on the cusp of it. Yes. Um, but yeah, has it, has it changed the dynamic of our dance and our dance community? Um, well, I can say I, I might have a surprising answer for you, but I personally think that the emphasis on competition and the fact that it, it almost feels like you're left out of a, or I feel like sometimes like I'm left out of uh, the convention experience if I don't compete is, has affected my experience more than, than aging. Mm. Yeah. I don't know how you feel about that, Tom. I mean, I definitely have thoughts about aging in the community. Um, my experience is, is a little bit all over the place. Um, I really love interacting with the younger dancers. And I think it's really fun. Um, and the only times that I really feel old are when I become self-conscious and think about my own, like think about how people might feel looking at me or dancing with me. I don't necessarily feel old. I mean, unless obviously Tom, there's things that we can't do. And if someone asks me to squat, I can't because I have an artificial knee. So, um, you know, that's a consequence of aging. But in terms of my experience dancing at events, um, I think the the times when I feel older, when I, like I said, I, I think about how other people are viewing me and how a younger person might feel uncomfortable dancing with someone who might be as old as their grandmother. But when I don't think about those things and I just go and ask someone to dance, I just don't think about it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's a surprising answer, but. No, I think that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Tom... I, I don't know if it was on the show, but I think you and I have talked about just how we kind of set our expectations and how that affects our experience. So like you said, if you are conscious of the fact that you are older than the people you're dancing with, it's going to mm-hmm. affect your experience with that. Um, whereas if you just go and say, well, it's another person I'm dancing with, mm-hmm. then you go and do it. But what about for you, Tom? Has it, has it changed your experience at all? Yeah, actually, um, I enjoy the younger skewing conventions very much. Um, I think the part of the shift for me was that <clears throat> understanding that it really is not for me, honestly. Um, Why not? Well, because uh, kind of like Gail was saying, I'm not as much of a participant as much anymore. I'm observant more. Um, and so I end up sitting, talking to people, or even not in the convention in, in the main ballroom way more than I ever used to in the past. Like in the past, I would get in there pretty much within a half an hour to opening and stay till close, literally. Mm-hmm. And I'd, I'd bring four to five T-shirts down with me or go to the room and change throughout the whole thing. And you would not find me outside of the ballroom. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but, or outside the dance floor, even. But now I'm standing off a lot, sitting in the third or fourth row, <laughs> hiding, mm-hmm. and just watching, you know, which is also enjoyable. 
Um, but I'm reminded of like when I used to talk to Annie about why, how she kept dancing until her, Annie Hirsch, mm-hmm. for those who don't know, um, how she kept dancing like she did until you know her mid 70s. And she said she wants to be around young people because they give, them, give her energy. Mm-hmm. And she sees the older people around her and how they stop doing young things like swing dancing. Um, and it, she feels that it made them older. And the fact that she kept associating with young people, doing active things, kept her younger mm. for as long as uh, she and Jack were dancing, which is pretty amazing when you think about the kind of things they were doing. Um, you know, same with Carlito. I'll bet if you ask Carlito, he'll tell you that being around young people makes him feel young. Mm-hmm. And, and we're all doing that for our mental health. Now, how we participate in that has changed, definitely. Mm-hmm. You know, definitely. And that's, that's how it's changed for me. So why do you find yourself now hiding in the third row? <laughs> um, well, I've gotten pickier and pickier with music as I've gotten older. <laughs> and, and as I'm a DJ, you know, I like I can I, there's some music I just it just doesn't move me. And I I'm, I think one of my dance handicaps is that I'm very much driven by the music. Mm-hmm. And if I if I don't enjoy the song, I'm not gonna have a good time. Right. Um, and I know it makes me. Other people told me that I'm snobby that way. Um, <laughs> and I come across as snobby because I'll sit a lot of dances. Um, but yeah, but for me, for better or for worse, music drives me more, more than anything else, which is actually probably a bad thing for a social dance, but uh, that's, that's the way I feel about it now. So, so. If, you, if you enjoy the music, are, are you out there dancing as much as you were? Yep. Yep. Yeah, like when we had those Ruby Lair and John Lindo uh, DJ battles. Mm-hmm. Um, every once in a while, I know Victor hits a groove um, right. that I really like, or uh, other DJs that are around the Bay Area, when they hit a groove, um, I'm on the floor the whole time. Yeah. But it really depends. I'm really music dependent. And I know that variety is the essence of things. But I, I don't, So here, I'll, I'll tell you guys a little bit of a secret. One of the things that, um, one of the reasons why I stopped DJing the metronome as much as I did is because I got tired of playing the blues. <laughs> I got really tired of it. it. It was I just played it all the time. And, and Sylvia Sykes will tell you. I don't know if you she she didn't talk about it in an interview, but she and I were talking about it one day. And she she called it lunka dunka blues. Yeah, and it's lunka dunka lunka dunka lunka dunka lunka dunka. And that was eighty percent of the music back then. I'm and I got really really tired of it. And I would play things like Earth Wind and Fire or Michael Jackson, and people would come to the DJ booth and complain oh. about what the hell are you doing playing this new music right. kind of thing. Right? And I was really trying hard to skew it newer to more contemporary back in the late nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I just, I just kind of, it just didn't move me as much anymore. Yeah. Cause it, after a while, all the blues sounds the same. I think if you ask the younger people, they'll tell you that. And there is definitely more complicated, awesome blues music that's still being made today. Um, but back then there was very much a structure and a, and a thing that happened. Right. It just wasn't that interesting, musically speaking. And if you're yeah. a musician, um, I think you'll probably figure out what that means. Or, or when you're a dancer, when you when you feel the song has changes in tempo or mood, or they're suddenly going to a break where it's lyrical, or then suddenly gets energy, or like you hear Chainsmokers songs, which kind of ramps up mm-hmm. and goes to this peak and pow. You know, those those things are awesome, and that's anyway. So it was one of the reasons why I came back. Actually, I like the music much much better today. But you're still sitting in the third row hiding. <laughs> I'm still sitting in the third row hiding if they start playing, you know, three or four blues music or, or even two. 
I can say that. So the, but blues, yeah. the blues music is what keeps you in the third row, not the contemporary music with or the, the contemporary, lyrical music. The contemporary lyrical, when it's played more than two in a row, will put me in the back row. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're yeah. right. But there are times when I'm super tired. And the late night groove is so awesome. Um, um, yeah. So I hear you. I what mean, am I saying here? I'm as much of a, a music snob as you are. And yeah. uh, there was a, a night at an event not that long ago where I call it Funka Funka, so similar <laughs> to Lunka Dunka, but the Funka Funka Blues. And I, I am an advocate of playing the blues, and I'm often trying to like convince others that blues is worth dancing to. Um, it is hard when it's a night of Funka Funka Blues, because even I, like you said, I'm bored with it. Um, I, you know, blues, first of all, soul is not blues, and I yes. love soul. But everybody lumps everything that isn't a pop song into blues, and it's not. But even within blues, there's a huge variety, mm-hmm. right? So there's everything from Funka Funka to like, you know, Eric Clapton and Tracy Chapman. Like, there's just a huge variety of blues. So I I like the variety. I like music with feeling and and that isn't repetitive. So yeah, that Funka Funka blues. Or there's pop music that to me is repetitive. Lots of it. And it's just a rhythm yep. that's over and over and over. And that bores me too. So it's not like, yep. I mean, again, I'm a music snob, so I'm very picky, but like any music for me that's repetitive will keep me off the dance floor. Yep. And plus that keeps me off. And I'll admit, and this is part of the topic here is my knees. <laughs> my knees hurt for after a while and I just can't keep it up like I used to. And so I got to sit down. Yeah. You know, I've happens. gotten a lot pickier. We- I've gotten a lot pickier too, Tom, over the years. Um, when I first started, even maybe the first four, five, six years, I, I was dancing every dance. I never wanted to sit down yep. and now it's, it really, I do have to pace myself. And I think that is something of, you know, to do with aging. Although. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> um, you know, I was having a conversation with someone about this recently and, uh, I don't know if you know this, but I have uh, two hip replacements and a knee replacement. So for me, it's not, it's not just aging and energy. It's, you know, my parts don't always work right. They're not always lubricated. It takes me four or five dances sometimes to, to warm up on the floor. And I look at people, other people my age, our age, uh, who are dancing every dance. And I say, why can't I do that? And, you know, my friend said, because you're bionic. You know, so there's that too. But, um, and I'm really, I really, as I get older, I, uh, I value a lot more the conversations and hanging out with people. And sometimes I'll just sit in the third row and talk to someone for 20 minutes, Mm -hmm. catch up with someone I haven't seen for six months, or they might've had a, someone might've had a, a bad day in competition and they need, you know, to vent. And I really like being sort of in a weird way, an elder in the in the um in the community i see my role is changing a little bit so that i can you know help support people who might want to talk about their day or might want to talk about family issues um sometimes they're younger sometimes they're the same age everybody struggles with that stuff you know um so i like that um I, I like it too because i wouldn't have met my girlfriend if you weren't playing <laughs> my role <laughs> i was wasn't i yep she was having a rough time and you told her to dance with me to feel better so yep. thank you you're welcome <laughs> It's public now. Right. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. Um, so both of you have mentioned that the dance has gotten a little more athletic and you mm-hmm. both have physical challenges that might limit what you can do. How much does that actually 
affect you when you're social dancing? Like how much are you cognizant of it or, or does it actually come up in a dance that um, either your partner asks something of you or you feel limited in your abilities? Go Tom. Um, I feel limited actually. Um, also cause uh, I have a spine issue where I don't have calf muscles anymore. So it's harder for me to support, use my lower body to support followers. Mm-hmm. So I can't support leverage moves. So that, that makes it a little more difficult, um, especially because the, the ground work, the flow work is getting really super important for mm-hmm. uh, expressiveness for the advanced followers mm-hmm. or the champion ones, right? So that gets harder. Um, to, I can still do it, but technically it's just more difficult because I, I don't have the size, frankly. I'm, a, I'm not a big guy mm-hmm. uh, or the muscles to make sure I stay balanced. And so that's harder. But at the same time, I really like a lot of it. <laughs> you know, we don't just stand there anymore. We actually move around and move our bodies and contort and do fun things, which are actually, which is pretty dang cool, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so so it's good and bad. And you notice it more with the advanced followers. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, and and the beginners who will probably try to pull me over. <laughs> <laughs> Likely unintentionally. I hope. Oh, funny. Um, yeah. What about you, Gail? Well, I haven't been able to squat or go down to the floor since 2005 when I had my knee replacement. Um, and that's been, that's always been challenging for me. I mean, there's lots of things that I'd like to be able to do. Um, and <laughs> we've got purring that's cats a, that's here. Purr that's so here. funny. I, I, I can hear the cat purring. Over can you really? Yeah. Oh, that's, yes, that's I can. Funny. I that's can hear it through my headphones. So totally. it must be loud. I think this Eric's a, got one on each side of him. Well, no, you did for a while. This is a cat-tastic episode. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it it does affect my my self esteem, I guess, on the floor sometimes. It it yeah. uh, there are many times that I uh, I'll start dancing with someone, especially if they're younger or I know that they're at least in advanced or or up advanced or higher. Not the pros don't do this, but I would say sometimes advanced and all star guys. And I think because we could be having a good dance and they could be feeling a good connection. And I'm very musical and I've been told that, that they might try something. Um, and I do, it, it worries me sometimes, you know, there are times when I'll avoid dancing with certain people because I'm afraid that I'm going to be asked to do something I can't do. Uh, but usually if it happens, it's not too much of a problem. I'll, I'll say, Oh, I can't do that. Or, you know, I can't squat, I can't, do. Oh, I have a fake knee, and then it'll be, oh, okay, fine. And then they usually will ask me, is there anything else that I should be aware of? Is there anything mm-hmm. else, you know, and I'll say, oh, no, no, you know, that's fine. That's all. That's that's my experience. Do, do you ever tell people in advance? Um, if I'm, I, I know followers will sometimes preemptively tell their leader, yeah. like, oh, my, I have a shoulder issue or I have a knee issue. The only time I, I, I've done it, I think, is if I'm um, competing in advanced. If I get a, a leader that I don't know, mm-hmm. I'll usually, I'll, I'll tell them, you know, I can't squat or I'm not really great at one footed turns, um, but that's it. You right. know, that's the only time. Otherwise in, in a social dance, you usually have time. There's, there's not the sort of the feeling of um, anxiety that, that produces a little bit more stress in the body and makes people rush and not maybe check in with their partner as much. Does that make yeah. sense? Or trying to show off. Or trying to show off. Yeah. Like people in competition are trying to do show off right they're trying to do the higher difficulty mm-hmm. to show what they can do both leaders and followers mm-hmm. it's interesting you mentioned that tom because um <laughs> i'm also not a big guy <laughs> <laughs> like i'm tall but i i used to be even thinner 
and scrawnier, if that's even possible. Um, <laughs> uh, and despite, you know, I've had knee issues over the years, even when I was like first starting this dance, um, that I've, I've been cognizant, like regardless of age of these followers who are, uh, more athletic and want to do more athletic things and of them trying things. Like, honestly, I think it's kept me from asking people to dance because I feel like they want to do those things and I can't deliver and I don't want to give somebody a bad dance. I don't want to mm. disappoint somebody. Interesting. Right. Um, yep. I've, yep. I've worked on, like, I remember when I did my routine with Yenny and we had like a couple of physical moves in it and how I hit the gym a little more. <laughs> like I tried to work on it just to be able to do that and how it, it helped for a little while with my social dancing because I felt more confident doing those leverage moves or knowing how to. Um, but yeah, I can imagine that if you have a weak legs or a bad back or a bad knee or what have you, that, that you'd only be more mindful of that or more cognizant of it. Well, and there's only certain, I mean, I go to the gym there's only certain amount of things you can do. Right. Um, but that's a problem that can't be fixed by just by gaining more muscle, you right. know? So you really do have to accept it and then just form your dance around it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, um, you mentioned competing mm-hmm. and what that experience is like. Mm-hmm. Um, have you felt, uh, any sort of bias against you for your age, either when you're drawing people or, have you felt like judges have been biased against your age? I personally haven't felt any bias. Um, but I know women my age and in my age group, in the master's group that have, Mm -hmm. and talk about it quite openly, you know, and describe situations that are uh, frankly, sometimes shocking, you know, it's hard for me to be shocked, but when I hear things that sometimes I just stand there with my mouth open, I can't believe someone would act that way. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't compete in advance very often, mostly because I, um, it's still intimidating for me. It's very intimidating for me. Um, it's a combination of all sorts of things. I don't get to work on my dancing or haven't as much as I'd like to, especially when I'm home. And so most of the time I don't feel, I don't feel competitive. I mean, which is part of the reason why I don't, I don't think I'm experiencing bias. I think I'm just not as good as many of the women that I'm competing against, whether they're younger or older. So I don't really frankly expect to make finals. So I wouldn't feel, I don't, if I don't have the expectation, I wouldn't feel um, slighted. Right. Right. But I do know other women um, my age who, who are really good dancers, um, women in, who are in novice, intermediate, advanced, all different levels at all-star who've experienced it, um, ageism. And I see it mm-hmm. um, more as an observer. I can see it and, it's disturbing. Yeah. What about you, Tom? You've you've recently jumped back into a little bit of competing. I did, and I think I'm jumping right back out. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? Out of the level divisions, because um, I'll have to say I definitely experience, especially people who don't know me, um, they see this old guy in front of them, um, and if you, especially in the Jack and Jill heated finals or heated, pardon me, prelims. Mm-hmm. I've had followers. I'm, I can tell. Check out. You know, as a leader, you can tell when a follower checks out. Right. <laughs> leaders should probably, followers should probably know that. Leaders can tell when you're not there. Mm-hmm. And then you start. And Because I'm not a person who likes, I'm not one of the leaders that forces things. I will do what I think is there for me. Um, and so I stop, right? And I 
keep it basic and do super simple things that will not advance you past the prelims in, in any national lift competition, uh, competition these days. So to be perfectly honest, I'm pretty much retired from level competition. Mm-hmm. Um, and I may, I'm right now I'm retired from master's level competition because I don't think I look like it anymore. Let's be perfectly truthful. Um, but going back to ageism, so yes, I think there definitely is, especially in level comps. I think it's a rare thing that someone who's older gets up into the finals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, uh, it is, and the re- one of the evidence points is that when someone does whose uh, master's level gets into a level comp, especially in advanced or better, I think people celebrate it because it's so rare now. Yeah, yeah. we love it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's kind of evidence that it doesn't happen. Um, so, yeah, I think I think it's there. And I, whether it's justified or not is another diff- a different track and story entirely um, in terms of skill levels. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. So yes, definitely have. And I, I think it's, I think having master's level competition is a good thing. Um, there's some things that are going discussing in the master's level comp, like having master's points count toward advanced or intermediate or whatever, which I think is a bad idea. Mm, uh, me too. Good. We agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. I uh, haven't heard that idea, but that's, I've never that's heard like that either. Saying I have eight yeah. apples, so that's equal to eight oranges. It's mm-hmm. just not. No. Yes, there's some of that talk going on right now, and I'm going, no, that's a bad idea. Don't do that, guys. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, definitely experience it. It's a fact of life. It's a reflection of society. It's also a reflection of our skills as we get older. So it well, is what it is. That's my other question too. Is so you both have talked about your physical limitations and certainly that's just something we all naturally go through as we get older. Um, and yet at the same time, the dance is getting more physical and more athletic. So I'm wondering, you know, Tom, I know you still judge and you look at scores a lot. You know, you said uh, older dancers don't tend to make finals, but how much of that is ageism and how much of that is those people are just more limited and can't, do some of the other things that people can do and how much of it is just a reflection of the values of our dance right now where physicality is valued more than say subtle musicality or that footwork. older right or that older dancers can do mm-hmm. but isn't getting rewarded because mm-hmm. it's not as it's not given as much credit uh, i think it's all the above yeah. So, yeah, I, I do think that the skill level has gotten higher and has left some people behind. Um, I do think that subtlety is hard to see, especially when you have 20 couples out there. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to happen. And, yes, I do see some ageism when I look at certain scores um, in our local dance even then. As you know, Eric, we're, we do an apprenticeship program, and I talk to the apprentice judges about what's going on when they have scores that look wacky. Um, and I really talk to them, and we have – Eric will tell you, we have actually a implicit bias unit as part of our princess judging program mm-hmm. where we make folks take the implicit bias test from Harvard and kind of really examine what, what their biases are. We have them do the, uh, the weight implicit bias and the age implicit bias because those are the two things I think play a factor in, in West Coast Swing Judging. Um, so, yeah, it exists. And, you know, we, we just try to train judges to not do that. But I know that everybody doesn't go through what we put people through at NextGen. So, right. You know, yeah. By the way, when you do those tests mm-hmm. with the judges, I know you did it with the MCS judges and, and the next gen apprentices. Uh, what are the results like, and how do people react to that? Like, are there a lot of light bulbs? Um, 
are people more biased than they thought? I think just taking it helps people realize that they have bias. And right. I think the first step toward combating or accounting for your bias is knowing that it's there. Right. And as far as I could tell, everybody pretty much does have those slight to moderate biases in those directions for thinner people and for younger people. Mm-hmm. Um, just pointing it out to them, I think, course corrects the judge's scores. Because yeah. you have to be aware of it to be able to account for it. And I think sometimes people say, well, I just didn't like their dance. And, you know, can you can they explain why? Or can they filter out their own stuff about it? And I think that's, that's what we try to do in next gen. Yeah. Um, I hope one day to be able to release this program to the public, but it's not ready for prime time. <laughs> I hope so too, Tom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so one thing that we talked about when I was in graduate school for organization development is the idea of diversity and inclusion and bias, right? And the idea that this idea that you can be uh, colorblind or ageblind is just a lie. It's not true. We all see color, age, yep. uh, physicality. And so to your point, um, the, the new way of thinking about it that's happening in businesses anyway is, is, is this kind of implicit bias training. Recognizing that we all do have biases and how do we recognize those and accept them and deal with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I would love to see more judges doing that in their training as well. Um, we've talked on the show, of course, kind of ad nauseum about the need for judges training, but also how judges are all biased. Like we're yeah. all, we're human and we are wired for bias. Um, yeah. so I'm curious because I'm of the opinion, uh, and you kind of alluded to this, Tom, that, you know, the master's division is not the same as the level divisions and, I'm uh, personally of the opinion that we should honor the sort of original purpose of the master's division, which was to create a space for people who, for different reasons, feel they can't compete with the leveled uh, competitors. Or don't want to. Or don't want to. Um, and so to create a space where they can succeed and kind of dance with their peers. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet there are lots of people who compete in both. Mm-hmm. They do level divisions and they do masters. I'm curious if you both have thoughts on that, given that masters was created to have a space for people who can't or won't or don't want to compete in the level divisions. So what would the alternative be? I mean, what are you choose one or the other. If you feel like you can compete in the level divisions, you do that. If you feel like you can't, you do masters. That's an interesting question. So it, people who are succeeding in the level divisions wouldn't be able to compete in the masters divisions. So I'm a, I'm against that. I think you should compete at whatever level you qualify for. Okay. Masters being an age thing, not a skills thing. Correct. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, and I think conventions are uh, going even in a, a, a different direction. I mean, they're adding age levels. Now they're sophisticated. Right. Mm-hmm. Now they're, uh, some conventions mm-hmm. are doing crossovers. They're doing intergenerationals. Right. So we're getting more and more competitions and not fewer are you, are you seeing the cat on the table? Um, um, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm virtually. <laughs> this is Baxter. Okay, come on, honey. Sorry. Hey, Woody. Um, no, I agree with Tom. I think, I think if a person wants to compete and they enjoy competing, they should be able to compete in as many competitions as they, as they can over the weekend. Yeah. Uh, if there's time. Sure. You know. So I guess my other question would be, 
this might be more for you, Gail, because mm. we've talked about this on the show before that there are a lot of masters dancers who continue to work at their dancing. Mm-hmm. You would be one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I know like I know Laura Schaefer and you know, Carrie Lucas. There are lots of great dancers who continue to work at it and others who don't. Right. And that is affecting the experience of other competitors, mm-hmm. like other masters competitors. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point where I know some masters competitors who don't compete anymore because they don't feel comfortable in the level divisions. Mm-hmm. And then in masters divisions, they're drawing partners who aren't very good or they're not comfortable with physically. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious if you've had that experience at all and if you have any thoughts on that. Oh, I've had that experience a lot, often. Um, and for me, it used to be fun. It used to be more fun and more challenging. I took it on as a challenge um, because I really do feel like Jack and Jill is a is a is a uh, a competition where the goal is to be able to dance with anyone and mm-hmm. have a fun dance with anyone and create something with with people partners of different levels. But um, over the last few years, it, it has gotten to the point where I think. Um, more and more newcomers are dancing mm. and it, we, we really are all over the place. You know, we have everything from newcomers to all stars and now actually newcomers to pros. Right. Um, and it, it's just not as much fun to, mm. uh, someone asked me recently what I thought was the most difficult level of competition. And I said, masters, mm. because you could have your first dance could be with a newcomer who has had one lesson and your next uh, dance could be with a pro. Right. Um, and it, it's, it's, I think it's, it just gets discouraging, uh, to, not to know that, not to even feel like you could really have a fun dance that you right. can, you know, it's, it's, I mean, for me, it's, it's gotten to the point where it's just not fun anymore. And I've expressed that to you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not fun to sit out either. Um, I don't know about you, Tom, but I find that when I don't compete in an event, I feel a little lost. Like I don't quite know what to do with myself. You know, I'm working on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing that occurs to me that is kind of what I was thinking of earlier when I said some people don't keep up with their dance, I feel like that's a problem with this ageism bias. So for instance, you know, both of you mentioned people, um, or Tom, you specifically said, you know, people you draw in competition and you just see them kind of check out. Right. And I think there's an assumption from a lot of younger dancers that, or just people in general, I may not even be younger. You may have it against other older people or like have that bias against other people is that if you get an older dancer, we assume that you dance a certain way, right? That maybe you started 20, 30 years ago and you still dance that way. And Tom is raising his hand. <laughs> no, you no, way, Tom? <laughs> no, I'm actually guilty of that as well. I'll admit that. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's be honest. In the Bay Area, there are a lot of older dancers who do dance the way it was danced 20, 30 years ago. And that's the majority of them. And they haven't updated their dance. And I don't mean stylistically, but even all that we've gained from our knowledge of technique and partnership mm-hmm. and connection. Um, and so... Every time we go to dance with somebody, we assume that's what we're going to get. And then most of the time we do. So it like reaffirms our prejudice and our bias. And there are people like Gail and like Lori, who I mentioned. Um, There are a lot of 
uh, masters dancers who do work at it. In my experience, and maybe it's just because I know more of them, I feel like the women do more of that than the men. Uh, yep. Deborah confirmed that when she said she and Robert did a master's seminar at Capitol and there were like three leads and all the rest were women, like 20 women and three leads. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is a challenge because one, good followers like yourself or good leaders like yourself don't feel like you can, you want to compete because you're dancing with you're going to get partners who are everything from novice to experience, but they're, let's face it, they're going to skew more likely towards novice. Mm-hmm. Or even if they've been dancing for a long time, they're going to feel like novice. Right. Um, and then it affects our, our broader community because we assume that they're going to feel like that. And then most of the time they do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like it's affecting the experience of masters dancers and it's affecting the bias towards masters dancers. Well, and the other thing about masters is that, all of the women, all of the follows, and I'm sure, Tom, maybe you've heard this or you talk to the follows, you talk to leads about this too. Like we all know in any given competition, there might be three advanced leads, one or two all-star leads, and a couple of intermediate leads. And that's the pool of people who are going to place. Right. So we all know who is going to be in the top five before it's even done. I think that's pretty much a given. It's just like a rotating, like maybe one person might get first place one weekend and third place the next weekend and fourth place, depending on who they draw. So that's discouraging too, because you, you know, you, you want to have a fair shot, you know, and as a, as a, a person who's working on their dancing, you'd like to have a shot, but you know, at least if you don't get one of those people, and maybe that's true at other levels too. I don't know. I mean, well, to some extent, I feel like <laughs> with every level, <laughs> If you know the competitors, you can kind of predict who's going to be okay. Maybe the finals then going maybe in. it's the same thing at every level. But, but I think there isn't as wide of a range, right? As you have in masters. No, you don't have newcomer to, to all star, right? In the same competition. Yeah. Right. What's your feeling about that, Tom? I mean, you are somebody who has continued <laughs> to study the dance. You laugh, but I've danced with you. I love dancing with you. you <laughs> oh, thank you for saying that. It's true, and you do work <laughs> at it. Like you're in workshops and you're going to to intensives. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I do try to work at it when I when I have the time and the physical ability, but yeah, I, I, I actually feel for the for the masters followers. I agree with you. <laughs> I think <laughs> there's a lot of male leads that just don't work at it or rest on their laurels. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really too bad, and I and I think I'm not sure why. Um, I think it's because as leaders, we're we're we know that if we can lead stuff for about a minute and a half, we're good. <laughs> Honestly, seriously, mm-hmm. and and but I think a follower is you have to be ready to to follow the variety of stuff you guys have to get from all these different leads. So I think you're it's far more dependent as a follower on technique and being able to connect and all this other stuff. So I think it's technically more demanding on followers. Mm-hmm. So I think followers who want to have a good dance, I think work at it because the more you work at it, the better you get. I think leads you can get to a point where you lead you know twelve patterns well and you're done. Um, and that would so, be great, Tom. <laughs> five patterns maybe i don't know five, even five would be great well <laughs> sometimes i feel that way yeah but i also feel like and i had this feeling watching the finals at boogie that because followers are continuing to work on their dance and their ability to infuse the dance with musicality if leaders aren't working on their skills they're not responsive to that mm-hmm. and it shows yeah, they kind of stand there or they shut the follower down. And 
I'm not judging the contest, but I can see when that happens. You know, when the, the follower throws an idea out there and the leader's just like moving yeah. on to the next thing um, or they don't know how to react to it. And so I feel like if leaders want to be more successful, having the patterns is no longer enough because followers are learning how to interject mm-hmm. um, and, and how to throw ideas out there. So Yeah, I would agree. And the opposite does work that if there, you have some leaders who think they know their 12 patterns and will put use every single one of them. Right. And, and I see them shut down really good followers. And that's tragedy to me, too. Mm-hmm. Um, when I see the follower shut down as a judge, you go, oh, that's just too bad. Right. <laughs> Last <laughs> you know, year in 5280 after Masters Finals, I was lucky to have been in finals. It was a spotlight. And I went to sit, sit down and Deborah was judging. And she came over and walked in front of me. And as she passed me, she put her hand on my knee and she said, all the followers were amazing. All the leaders need to go back to class. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's true in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. I, I just, oh, I remember distinctly at Boogie because Boogie had such a great lineup of, of good followers and masters, really good followers. And the leaders, either the pairings weren't right or the leaders weren't keeping up. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to bash the leaders. Right. I'm yeah, really let's, not. let's not do it's that. There, there are some really good leaders. I mean, there are. There are some really, really good leaders out there. I'm just amazed at how, how well they do. And I belong in, you know, advanced all-star-ish kind of like the border. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think there's some really good leaders out there. A shout out to, to Cliff Bell. Yes. He's Cliff Bell. He's one of, one of the few advanced, I mean, one of the few masters leaders that I know work at their dance and I can see them getting better. Yes. Um, He's one of the few that I know of in the West Coast. Um, but I'm, I'm digging into my head and thinking it's hard to see anybody. Else. Well, no, there, there's some leaders out there. I don't know their names that are still working at it as well. Mm-hmm. But when I look at the followers, when I'm watching contests, definitely followers are working harder than, than leaders are. That's for yeah. sure. There's more growth in what the followers yeah. are doing. Yes. Yes, yeah, yes. I would agree with that. I would too. <laughs> I mean, I'm right there with you. <laughs> How about the leveling of masters? Ooh. Well, that's one, of, <laughs> that's one of my questions is like, what is the talk in the master's community? And I, I know leveling of competitions is one of them. Um, yeah. Because and, it, go, it, it takes, you know, it takes care of the thing we were just talking about, the disparate levels that you might get in a master's level contest, right? Sure. Right. If you have levels, then there's less of that going on. Yes. That's true. I, my feeling about it is, and granted, I'm not a master's competitor, so... One might say I have no right to say anything at all, but I don't think it's a bad idea in principle, right? To your point, like, let's separate out the levels. I think in a practical way, it's not going to work. There are too few events that have a critical mass of master's dancers. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, if we separate out, say, I don't know, upper level and lower level, just as a basic, like, we have whatever, novice, and then open masters. Mm-hmm. How many guys are going to be in the open That's masters? That's the problem. It's the leaders, not the followers. There's always going to be gonna tons of followers. You're going to have like three or four guys who qualify for that. Mm-hmm. Or you have guys who are going to compete in the novice level, quickly earn points, and move up to open, in which case you're watering it down again mm-hmm. all over. And that even assumes that you have enough for two levels, right? Like if you have three couples in one level, does that count? Are they going to get points? I think it's hit and miss. I mean, I was at Meet Me in St. Louis this year for the first time. Great event, by the way. Mm -hmm. And I was surprised. They had a novice masters and an open masters. And in the open masters, 
I know I was kind of expecting, oh, there was going to be 20 women and six or seven men. No, there were probably, I think we were even, I think there were 12 and 12 or 13 and 13. And wow. it, was, it was great. But then at another event, it could be completely different, right. you know, so I, I don't know. Well, the other argument is if we have more levels, it will draw more people out because there are a lot of people who don't compete because they either don't want to compete against people who are better than them mm -hmm. or people who are not as good as them. So leveling it may draw more people out to compete. Mm -hmm. Whereas then you have the whole big meta conversation of do we want to encourage more competition? <laughs> but, well, that wouldn't be more competition. It would just be, it would be more, oh, you mean splitting it or having it? Yeah, if you split it and get more people to compete, is it mm -hmm. putting more of an emphasis on competition? That's just a different question. Tom, what are your thoughts on splitting the levels? I'm against it. <laughs> Why is and that? I'm on the, I'm on the forums of being against it. Because it's, it's an age category, not a skill category. And yeah, let's just kind, you, of, Tom. kind of face it. And and I know that, you know, well, why do you why do you compete? If you compete to get – I kind of had this, this whole thread in Masters stuff. If you compete to get medals or trophies in first place, then Masters is the wrong place for that. Because mm -hmm. it's, it is about creating a peer group that then you can have fun and compete. And every once in a while get accolades. It's not about prizes or points or anything like that. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I, I said um, – I think the, the thing I said was – I try to look for trophies in the smiles of my followers. And I, I think that's the worst you do rather than looking for trophies at the end of the day. Uh, right. But the right. reality is there are still many masters dancers who are very competitive. Yes. And, and it is, it is the only place that they compete and they don't compete yes. in the levels and it's very important for them. Yes. So maybe there needs to be a place for them, you know, to thrive. It's called level competition. <laughs> Okay. Well, then we get back to all the other challenges and biases that happen there, right? right? Yep. So for them to stand out, they have to not only do well, but overcome all the, the challenges and disadvantages that they might have going right. into that contest. Yeah. And there are pro basketball players who are seven foot four and there are pro basketball players who are five foot 10. Yes. True. It's just, again, we already, <laughs> we already have a small number of masters making finals in right. the skill division. Okay. Yeah, okay. I'm not in favor but, of splitting it. I really like, I really, I think it's fun when, and I've been beat by novice dancers. I mean, I have not made finals um, in, in instances and novice dancers have, and good for them. You know, I don't feel, I don't begrudge them that. I mean, of course, I want to be out there, but I think mm. it's great. So why not? You know, it's Jack and Jill is not just about the skill that you're dancing at. It's how you connect with your partner. You know, it's how you create the energy with someone and how you dance to the to music at that time and how you're judged in a group among other people. So mm -hmm. it's not, you know, it's not necessarily like the all-star dancer is definitely going to win. And that's what's fun right. about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, agreed. So, and so, you know, you got to take the good with the bad. You got to take the, the fact that you might get somebody who's it's the first competition, like I have more than once, mm -hmm. <laughs> to all the way to I might draw Lorene Baldovi one day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm incredibly lucky. Right. but. That's that's part of the mix, and I accept that as part of the thing. If I do enter, so have so you have either of you seen reverse bias? Where I mean, we have in our community a predilection for the show, mm -hmm. and yeah. sometimes there's there's in some ways it's kind of when it happens, I almost feel like it's patronizing. But like to see an older person being groovy or exciting, even if their technique isn't good, mm. right? And people are like, oh, yeah, you go, you go, you know, even though 
I feel like it's supporting them, but also because, well, they're old. And so because they're older and they're being groovy or sexy or whatever, we we give them extra kudos. Does that make sense? Well, we might, oh, yeah. we might give them attention and kudos, but I think most of the time it's not the, the scores are not don't reward them. My feeling is judges don't reward that. So, no, I, I don't see that. Do you see that? I don't know. I'm just curious if you, if either of you have. I think it's fun. I think it's entertaining, and I think I love it. But, but entertaining I, gets rewarded in our competitions um, these days. I don't think. Well, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna comment on that because I'm not sure what I want to say. What about you, Tom? Have you seen it, either from a judge's yes. perspective? Yeah. Y- yes, definitely. I actually take it back. I think. I think it does happen and hasn't happened in a major way. Where, where an older person will get a break because mm-hmm. of that. They might get more cheers from the crowd, but I don't think I really see any results. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd agree with that. That was my question. I mean, I don't know if it does. That's I just threw it to you, too. Yeah, I don't think I've seen that in results. I've seen it in crowds, for sure. Yeah. Not in- so is there conversation in the master's community about these kind of issues? About uh, Do people share their own stories of being biased against or feeling challenged, social dancing. Yes, all the time. Yes. yes. You agree? Yeah, definitely. Who do you hear it from, Tom, most? Um, actually, I hear mostly from, from Master's followers, mm-hmm. who, who I think, unfortunately, uh, probably um, work the hardest, have the, have the biggest stake in it, and also get affected the most. Uh, and that's kind of what, how it is, unfortunately. And, and also, even social dancing, I think a lot of the Master's followers – are, are sitting by the sidelines more than, you know, an equal dancer of equal ability who's younger than that masters is going to get asked to dance. Mm-hmm. Not masters follower. It's just, and that, uh, that goes to the whole other bias of attractiveness. Mm-hmm. And we are, especially in the United States, a very much a youth oriented culture. Um, in the U S and Asia, it's kind of that way. Um, maybe in Europe too. I don't know. I'm not familiar. familiar. Um, but I think that's that's the function of it. And I was thinking about this, thinking about this interview. Why is it that attractive young women get to be much better dancers so quickly? Because hmm? more people ask them to dance. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, why do they ask them to dance? Because they're, they're attractive and young. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Well, I so see get- that. I see um, young women, younger women who might not be as skilled, get asked to dance. Um, over women who are, and I think there's an assumption there. Um, I, you asked me earlier if I felt a, that there was ageism, and I, and I, I think my answer might have sort of implied that I don't feel that there is, but but I do, and I think for me it, it occurs during social dance, it, social dancing at events, not so much at home mm-hmm. because people know me in the community and they know that I can dance. But I don't know if you've had this experience, Tom. I'm sure I'm sure you have. Um, you know, I'll ask a younger dancer to dance and they'll give me a look. Sometimes it's sort of a, uh, not necessarily a, a, where they're looking me up and down, you know, not that obvious, but they might, and they, they don't really roll their eyes, but it might be sort of a less than enthusiastic. Yes. You know, a sure, you know? And so, um, and I used to be feel intimidated by that, but now I don't anymore because I know that I have a certain level of competence and skill. So we'll get out on the floor and we start dancing and they start smiling mm-hmm. And the more we dance, the more they smile and they start laughing and we'll start having fun. And that's what happens more than more than anything else. I think that initial sort of 
uncertainty about whether, oh, do I really want to dance with you? Are you, can you really, you know what I mean? Where a younger person might not, might not have that or feel that it might be just, sure, let's go. You know, do you experience that, Tom? Oh yeah. I think I've talked about it in the show before. Yeah. And in fact, I'm, I'm off and I, I'll still say even last night I got turned down by a younger attractive dancer. Kind of like a the thread who just didn't know that I'm capable um, and she was also near. Not a big deal. I was doing one of these things where I go around the room and just ask people in a row. Mm-hmm. So, so I do that all the time. Um, so yeah, it, it, you get turned down because you're an older guy, and they go, oh, "I don't know, so no, I don't know about this." And they say, "I don't like not this song or whatever," and I keep moving. So yes, it still happens, and absolutely, totally, all the time. Yeah, and I, time. I, I do wonder again how much of the bias is like age-driven versus the association of age with competence. Mm-hmm. or a way of dancing so is there any conversation among the masters dancers about improving how to improve um how to stay current i mean i'm not in a master's dancer but i a master's dancer but i've been dancing long enough that even i've had to work with teachers on updating my dance or, or staying on top of the latest trends well all the, all the follows that i speak with regularly are working on their dancing yeah. A lot of them more than I am. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm thinking Mindy Halliday, mm-hmm. Adela Sue, certainly Carrie. Um, Lori works on her dancing all the time. Yeah. Um, Kelly Robinson from Denver. I mean, I can think of many, many more, but I, I can't remember their names all right now. Yeah. You know, um, They're all working on their dancing. We, we all talk about the workshops that we go to, the intensives that we go to, the private lessons that we're taking. I mean, I think a lot of it is is dependent, unfortunately dependent on money. You know, some people earn more money than others do. Some are retired and have a fixed income. Um, some people like me have, are lucky enough to have had an inheritance. Um, so, you know, just to one degree or another, people are intentionally working on their dancing or wanting to, or trying to get, you know, uh, take advantage of the experiences where they can. Um, and again, more the, the follows than the leads. But then I don't talk to the leads as much, I think. I just, you know, we have that circle of women right. that we hang out, the master's women, which I love. Um, what about you, Tom? Um, I'm not plugged into the master's leaders community, so I don't know what my contemporaries do. Mm-hmm. Um, I, just, I just know overall that, that master's, I mean, leaders overall work less, one. And two, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> Is there talk among... The master's Senior community moment. about uh-huh. about getting better and improving and staying current and up to date. At the national level, there's a handful. At the regional level, I would say rare. Yeah. And yeah, there's there's still master's level guys who are definitely working at it. But you'll see, you'll see that you see them at the open floor doing routines and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I find the economic argument interesting yeah. because. And I know it depends, but there are, yes, some people who have more disposable income than others, Mm -hmm. but there are plenty of people who have the money to go to an event Mm -hmm. and book their own hotel room Mm -hmm. and pay the competition fees, but they're not going to the workshops or taking a private lesson. Yeah, true. Right? So I understand that that is a limitation for some people, um, myself included right now. Like, I'm not going to as many events because I don't don't have the money right now, but... Mm -hmm. um, so I understand that, but I also see, and maybe this is just my own experience, but in my experience, younger people have more of a drive and mm-hmm. more uh, investment in getting better. 
in general, like again, all the masters women you mentioned, I love dancing with and are great dancers because they've made the investment. Mm -hmm. But I don't see that as as widespread as I do with the younger dancers. Yep. Yep. I think frankly, as older you get, you don't want to spend, you don't want to go eight to a room anymore. Um, right. You're not willing to make it a priority where your financial incentives are just not there for it. So, well, I, I would, of the women that are in my circle, I would say most of us share at least three to a room, sometimes oh, four. So we're not spending lots of money on hotel rooms. Yeah. Um, and you are putting it towards private lessons. Yeah. Yes. And workshops. And, and that's, yeah, that's my choice. I, I take local workshops and intensives. Mm -hmm. When I'm on the road, um, I would prefer to stay up till five in the morning and social dance, then, you know, get up and do workshops. Yeah. I sort of apportion my energy that way. It's all about social dancing. Mm -hmm. And then if there's any energy left, it might be a comp or a private. Um, but workshops, occasionally, occasionally. I find that in the group workshops, especially the all-level workshops, if I'm looking at working on technique, it's great. But they're mostly leader-centered. They're mostly leader -centered. Right. Yeah, they they always have been, and I think they still are to an extent. So. so, is there anything that either of you would like to see done differently that would raise the level of dancing in masters? And again, I look if people just want a social dance and they're having fun, I don't see a need for them to get better. But I ask the question because one, it's affecting the experience of master's competitors like mm -hmm. yourselves. And two, I do think it contributes to the bias against older dancers. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if there's anything to be done to counter that by fostering a little more interest in getting better. Or, you know, even if it's just things like having more master's level workshops at events. Mm -hmm. Of course, if people don't want to learn, they're not going to go to them and then the event's not going to offer it again. Right? So it's like chicken or egg. Well, the couple of master's workshops that I've been to, it's the instructors let anyone come in. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe that was a function of there not being enough people. You know, had they just restricted it to master's, that there wouldn't have been enough people to hold the workshop or there wouldn't have been enough leads. I don't know. Right. Um, I'm not sure. I, I, one of the things that just came to mind, and this is not about workshops or social dancing, do you remember when that Tom, when they used to have the rule that you had to be intermediate or above to compete in masters? When I was yeah, first starting yeah, yeah. dancing, there was that rule. And I'm wondering what would happen if we went back to something like that, where you had to have a novice point or you had to, you know, have made finals and novice to be able to compete in masters. I don't know, something like that. It might be an alternative to the leveling. Yeah, it might be. Um, Anyway, I'm not sure I answered your question. I don't, I don't really know. <laughs> I don't how. know that there is an answer. Yeah, I don't know. I think you know, I, I think I think there isn't an answer, and I think the best thing that's happened, frankly, is the Facebook group, because I I believe that um, I think that the, the Facebook group, the Masters Leader, the Mass Competitors thing, actually, I think that's, that's a really good thing because it got people talking and it's created more of a community, and they're doing meetups and things like that, which I think is fantastic and great, yeah. and I think it's also made people more consciously conscious of being social with age peers, which is all, all really good. Mm -hmm. um, masses workshops, you know, the ones I've been to actually are pretty packed. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been to the ones at Capitol and I think it was, Bookies. I think it was Bookie. Yeah. They're, they're actually, yeah. It was pretty packed actually. Um, so, but I don't think there needs to be any more because always, I'm always curious about, well, what's, 
what's age level have to do with the difference in terms of what you're teaching as dads? Exactly. Right. Yeah, um, that's true. I think it's more about, because I actually was the one who advocated for a master's level workshop at Boogie. And uh-huh. the reason I wanted to do that was, first of all, we have juniors workshops. So I was like, well, why are we offering the young kids something and not the mm-hmm. more mature dancers? Um, and the other was to create a space where people could work with people who are their peers, um, who might have the same, you know, limitations or disadvantages or what have you, um, to be in that space, right? Like we, we as learners do best when we're among our cohort or our peers. And I think that was the intention behind it. Okay. Yeah. I, th- I think it fulfilled a social function, which is good. Sure. You know, and that's kind of where the Facebook group is actually, I believe it's, it serves a f- social function of getting people to know each other. So they social dance more. And I think ultimately if more, actually like Deborah was saying, I think if more masters people dance with each other, I think everybody would be happier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we all get caught up in this chase for youth, which we do in culture and in dance. Right. Um, that kind of can get in the way of the enjoyment. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I, th- I think it's I think it's okay. I don't know. I, I don't think there need, right now. I don't think there needs to be more. Honestly, let me ask a different question. What That's would me. you <laughs> What would you <laughs> like to see done differently to help older dancers feel more welcome and included? And I know there's there's two levels that both of you are involved at. There's the local level, and I think both in the Bay Area and here, there's a fair amount of mixing, mm-hmm. but there still seems to be separate populations uh, and different venues that, that skew more towards one or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the national level where, you know, both of you go to an event and people may look at you and either turn you down um, or make you feel less than or not see you and walk by you. And yeah. Not see you. you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So what can we do at those two levels to help alleviate some of that? Well, maybe that could, some of that could come from the convention uh, owners and coordinators, promoters, um, the MC, you know, a message at the beginning of the weekend about inclusion, mm-hmm. mixing, dance with someone you don't know, dance with someone older, dance with someone younger. Um, Actually, I'm liking the intergenerational stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that's good. Uh, maybe right. hold that in the, in the which they do hold it in an early part of the convention, uh, convention, but maybe even highlight it as something you do in the finals on the last day or something like that. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that'd be pretty cool. I mean, emphasize the intergenerational and make it really part of your values. And at the same time, I, I'm kind of waiting for a uh, 40s plus convention. Well, Deborah is offering a oh. masters-oriented event the weekend before Liberty. Yeah, Deborah okay. Robert. Yeah, I and think Robert. Yeah. is involved in it. Might be involved in it. Too. And uh, Rose City, I didn't know that. Rose City Swing Productions is backing it. Baba and wow. Trudy. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. So people should check that out. Yeah, I think yes. I think it has to be more than just competitions, though, Tom. No, although, no, no, not competition. I mean, just yeah, no. Although I will say, I went to Swing Fling this year. And they start out on Friday night. Their first competition of the weekend is an intergenerational. And it set the oh. tone for the entire weekend. I remember I didn't compete in it, but I sat and watched it. And it was it made me so happy. And I told Kay afterwards, and I've told her a couple times since, that starting the weekend with an intergenerational and seeing all those happy people mixing and dancing with each other. And the other thing that I liked about it was that I think it was 20 years, if I'm not mistaken, 
my feeling about intergenerational is that you should make it at least a 20 year difference because if it's 15, then you can have people dancing with each other who are, you know, 25 and 40. And to me, that's still not pushing you into that wider spread. Yeah. I think the wider spread is better. 20 or 25 years really makes it, you know, here's the cats wanting my attention, but you know what I mean? It's making it more, um, Truly intergenerational. True mix, truly intergenerational. Because to me, 10 years is not a generation. Right. 15 no. years is not a generation. No, I had one of my students ask me to do this it's, intergenerational. It's, it's, yeah, that's not, no. I just, I didn't do it. <laughs> not because I felt old, but just because it felt, it felt weird. I was like, I don't think that's in the spirit of the event. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and, and the more I think about, and this is, this is a new thought. I think, I think intergenerations to me are more important than masters competitions. Because I think encourage it's mixing. Yeah, because it, it fosters community. I agree. And one of the, one of the things I didn't like about masters was that I kind of separated it, mm-hmm. and and the bad, the dark side of that was that it gave somebody something to ignore, mm-hmm. <laughs> which honestly is what's happening because masters are held in the day, and you see a ballroom, and frankly, it's not, not too many people. It's only their friends that are in the right. ballroom checking them out. Right. Even when they squeeze it between other contests, that's when people go and change or go. fight or right. Yeah, exactly. It's terrible. Which, exactly. which, which, um, yeah, that, that makes me think about the events I've been to where it's, it's the first competition of the day and people don't show up until afterwards mm-hmm. or it's the last one. I really do think it's better when they put it in the middle, yeah. you know, right before advanced or right after advanced. Um, so, no, yes. So that's what I would do. I would, I would encourage more traditional dances of one sort or another, um, whether it's a strictly or Jack and Jill. Jack and Jill is just harder to pull off, but, um, but yeah, I'd love to see more of that. I think that would help a lot, actually. What about the social dancing aspect? Do you think there's something that we can do as teachers or as uh, organizers, event directors? What can be done to help create more inclusion and more mixing between ages? Well, I think I already said, you know, get on the mic early in the convention or maybe during opening ceremonies and make a statement. I mean, not a, not a political statement, sure. but just encourage people. This is what our event is about. This is the mission. You know, there's, there's young people here. There's older people here. There's brand new people here. There's people who've been dancing for 20 years. You know, we want to share the joy of, of dance with everyone. I don't know. Does it sound cheesy? Yeah, no, but I, I do think from a, <laughs> from a change perspective, like change management perspective, Messaging is really important mm-hmm. and messaging from the top mm-hmm. is very important. It can't only be from the top. There mm-hmm. needs to be people who are bought into it and living it and making it happen. But without encouragement from the key influencers, and that may not be the event director, you mm-hmm. know, that may be champions, that may be all stars. Um, you know, and that's Deborah has been on the show advocating for, for masters. Like that makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it does need to come from the top, but it wouldn't hurt to also come from no. the event director. And maybe there could even be something like a dance ambassador program, you know, where you would have volunteers who would, uh, we used to have this at, at the Rebels. We used to have someone sit at the front desk and they would have a little sign, um, you know, like a name tag on that said uh, dance ambassador. And they would just dance with the new people, you know, for an hour. Maybe if we had volunteers who, uh, for whom their mission was for an hour or two hours a night, you know, they would go ask an older person to dance or someone who was sitting who, you know, like you said, Tom, some of the older um, master's followers are just sitting and not dancing and getting passed over that 
people could go around and ask them like a, a secret Santa kind of secret. What would yeah. you call it? Like a secret. Well, I feel, I feel like, and I, I think we talked about this on the community episode. I, I, that idea never quite sits well with me. It does in principle. Okay. Right. I like the idea of making sure that there are people, ambassadors who make sure everybody feels included. Mm-hmm. There's two concerns about that. One is I don't want people, especially if they're wearing a name tag to feel like they're only getting like, what if that's the only person who asked them to dance that night? Oh, no, then you... they feel like they were asking them only because not because they wanted to, but because they had to. Right. And the other issue with that, and I, I haven't seen it play out, so I don't know if this is grounded in reality, but my concern would be that other people feel like they don't have to because that's their job, oh. right? That it's been outsourced to these people, and oh. now I'm not responsible for being mindful of it. They'll get taken care of by the ambassadors. I don't know if that's true, but just I, I could see that playing out. I guess from a community organizer perspective myself, I'm always interested in how can we... uh motivate incentivize reward everybody everyone for mixing with everybody Mm -hmm. if that makes sense yeah i mean i think the dance ambassador and i know people who use that idea with much success right but so i think it can be done no name tags i i don't know how secret is what i would think i want (laughs) to say so nobody knows who they are you know i mean i at mcs uh we talked with the teachers and said for that first half hour 45 minutes go and dance with students you know, they're not wearing name tags, but one, it's good for them to get to know the students, but also it's just a nice thing to do mm-hmm. that the higher level dancers are going and dancing with newbies. Um, so in some ways, that's a variation on the mm-hmm. dance ambassador. Uh, but yeah, anyway, I, I, I am interested in how do we get like everybody to mix? That may be a way to just start creating some sense of inclusion and or model behavior for others. Yeah. You know, if that dance ambassador name tag or not is asking an older dancer to dance, that may open the door for other people Mm -hmm. like oh they see they're having fun together cool Mm -hmm. what about you tom you think a lot about community and mixing yeah you know the other day we were i was talking to um somebody here in sac who's who's also an old-time dancer we were talking about how when we used to go to phoenix we would do uh as circle dance Mm -hmm. where you do a set of patterns and you rotate rotate, rotate. so pretty much we do that mixing rebels here but but a structured mix you guys do a structured mixer we do Mm -hmm. we do oh Every, every dance Every awesome. dance to do it for at least at two least songs, two songs mm-hmm. until every most people get around all the way. Yeah, exactly. So everybody dances with everybody at one point in the evening, no matter who they are, right? Right. I think those are good, and I, we don't do it in the Bay Area, which is kind of unfortunate. I encourage certain people, certain promos to do that, but I was kind of poo-pooed. Well, and the reason being, <laughs> yeah, you encourage me to do things like that. Um, I do <laughs> tell people to, to dance with somebody <laughs> new, and I personally will go dance with you know, the older yeah, dancers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, and I've said on the show, I'm not in favor of mandatory fun. Yeah. Um, yep. So yep. the idea of taking away from social dancing, um, and there's always people, myself included, who gristle a little at the idea of like, okay, now you're just gonna, like a, like a factory, we're just gonna move you down the assembly line and just have you dance with more people. It's not, it's nice in that, like, and I do the ones at Rebels. Mm-hmm. It's nice because I do get to dance with people, but it just feels so manufactured. Yeah. Um, and and you're precluding the opportunity for the fun to happen. It's all, all pointed out. Yeah. The fact that we don't do it makes it means it won't happen. And because the other reason why that called to mind is because I went to, I'm trying to learn how to tango, which is my cross training thing. 
And the tango venue that I really liked a lot was the one where we did a waterfall, right? Similar thing where you line up and you get random, randomly drawn, and you kind of look do like a bus stop or whatever you call that thing, mm-hmm. uh, uh, soul soul train or whatever you want to call yeah. it. Oh, sure. Which, With the yeah, you go down yeah, the middle together. You go down the middle together, and then then because it's uneven numbers, you always rotate through everybody else. It'll happen that way. Mm-hmm. So anything that gets people mixing, whether it's age or abilities, I think it's a really good thing. Um, yeah. And you know, no, normalize it and make it part of something that happens at prime time once. Yeah. And you know, if you want, if you want to sit it out, you can sit it out, which I'm sure is what happens at at uh, Minnesota as well. But um, once you normalize it, it becomes this thing where oh, okay, well, it's only three minutes of my time. I can deal with that. Or you emphasize that this is part of your community building. You can sacrifice two, one or two songs. Let's go ahead and do it. And because you never know, you might need somebody. You might have a great time. Well, the other thing I was uh, thinking about recently at one of our dances, as I was in the mixture, and I, actually I was leading, which I don't lead very often, but we needed an extra leader, so I was leading. It made me think about how what a great experience that is if you want to learn how to dance with with anyone and mm-hmm. everyone. And I, the thought in my mind was every novice competitor should make sure they dance in a mixer <laughs> because you're going to get, you know, people of all levels, all ages. That was great. What a great training ground. Yeah. You know? Um, so if you want to look at it as a lost, uh, as a waste of time, or you want to look at it as an opportunity to grow and learn, I mean, you know, you can look at it both ways. Yes. Yep. Yep. And your community leaders can set the, set the tone. Right. 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 Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah. I think it's a good point about normalizing it and just making it, you know, because at the end of the day, yeah, culture change is about changing the way we do things on a regular basis. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it has to become normal. It has to become part of just this is what we do. Well, Mm -hmm. I want to thank both of you for taking the time to sit with me today and chat about your experiences as more mature dancers in our community, more experienced dancers in our community. (laughs) I think this is an issue that we need to keep talking about and keep addressing mm-hmm. um, again at different levels. So everything from local community up to national events. Um, I'm curious to see where the master's level competition discussion goes <laughs> in the coming months and years. Um, but yeah, I hope people at least hearing your stories and your perspectives um, are a little more mindful of how they're interacting with older dancers. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you. We'll have you back again sometime, I'm sure. These are just two of the many stories and experiences of older dancers out there, but I appreciated both how honest and how thoughtful Gail and Tom were. Both spoke to their own feelings about what they can and can't do given their physical limitations. I personally understand Tom's experience of worrying about leverage moves or feeling challenged keeping up with the athleticism of the dance. And I feel for Gail having to dance with leaders who may demand things of her that she simply cannot do. I thought it was funny how Tom said he didn't like the thunka thunka blues and wanted to dance to more modern music. Uh, Not that it surprises me. I know Tom and his musical preferences, but I think he bucks the stereotype of older dancers who want to dance to older music. I know Gail enjoys more modern music too. As much as Tom may be a music snob, let's be honest, I'm probably the biggest music snob of all three of us. Both of them were very fair in their assessment of ageism in our community. They admitted to feeling it and seeing it, but I never felt like they were angry about it or pointed fingers. Bias against older people is a real thing, and I think we could all do a little more to recognize our own bias. By the way, Tom mentioned that he makes apprentice judges take a bias assessment. 
That's the implicit association test from Harvard University, which, by the way, is free to take online. I'll include it in the footnotes for those of you interested in taking it. I encourage you to do so, whether you judge or not, though I guess the point is that we all judge after all. Anyway, I really enjoyed talking with both of them, and I hope you all got something out of it, too. I do think that many of us associate older dancers with older dancing, so to speak. But let's be honest, there are dancers of all skill levels in any age category, and there are great dances to be had with people of all ages. Not every dance has to be an athletic feat, and physical limitations don't have to prevent someone from connecting and being musical and having a good time with a partner. And if Gail and Tom are any evidence, there's a wealth of knowledge and experience to be gained from our more mature dancers. They have been around and studied the dance in different times and seen the community grow and evolve over time. They have a perspective that we can only gain over time. I know I've learned a lot from both of them, from talking with them, but also from dancing with them. And yes, I have danced with Tom. He's a lovely leader. But let me ask you, what did you think of Gail and Tom's experiences? What did you take away from the conversation? Have you seen ageism in action at events? What is your local community like, and how are older dancers treated there? What, if anything, does your community do to make older dancers feel welcome and included? And what can you do to be more inclusive of older dancers yourself? Share your thoughts with me and your fellow listeners. You can post a comment on the website, you can respond to our posts on Facebook, or you can share your thoughts in our discussion group on Facebook. You can also email me at thenakedtruthwcs.com or through our Facebook page. To get the latest news, you can like our page on Facebook, subscribe to our weekly email newsletter, follow us on Instagram at The Naked Truth WCS, and where else can you find us? Oh, that's right. We're on Twitter, where I will send out a blast when we have a new episode released. Our Twitter handle is at Naked Truth WCS. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review on Facebook. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please rate us and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Eric. My name is Gail. And this is Tom. And that's That's the the Naked Naked Truth. Truth. But sometimes. Ow. Okay. Yep. <laughs> so, sorry. He's biting me, so I swatted at him and he. I think. Oh. Him. Like he bite? Did he bite you? He One moment. Him. Well, he bit. And Did then, he bite you? Yeah, he was like bit my finger, and then I swatted at him. This is going to be in the outtake. Clean. Uh oh, we had a we had a catastrophe. <laughs> catastrophe. <laughs>